Well, the people in Malachi's time briefly drifting far from uh, God and the call from God to return to him and the promise, if you return to me, I will return to you. And it's a little bit like that picture of the prodigal son. Uh, he determines from the pigsty to return. He rehearses his speech. He gets up and he goes towards his father. But the father, when he's still a great way off, uh, runs towards his son. The servant's running with him and he embraces the returning uh, prodigal. And the same for you and for me. Uh, the Lord loves his people more than we can possibly imagine. But there has been this decline and drift. And uh, one contention, there are many, that the Lord has with his people is that they bring in uh, all the tithes into the storehouse. Verse 8 of chapter 3, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now, in this says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Well, we've been a while uh, in this. Well, this is the third message. We've looked at the Old Testament principles and uh, last uh, Sunday evening began to apply uh, some New Testament principles to uh, this grace of Christian giving. And uh, in Malachi's time, there was a, a lack of giving. And uh, so the result was that, um, you know, we were saying last time, uh, Malachi contemporaneous with uh, Nehemiah. And when Nehemiah returns to uh, Jerusalem, it's recorded in chapter 13 and verse 10. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. There was such a lack in the giving in Malachi's time uh, that the Levites, who should have been tending to the uh, temple and doing their work there, were having to go back to their fields to earn uh, a living. You might say they were part-time uh, Levites. Are there part-time uh, pastors, uh, we would hope that churches can uh, support them. Are there part-time uh, missionaries? Some do work as tent makers, we know, in situations where they're not allowed in uh, as official missionaries as such. Uh, but uh, Nehemiah challenges the people and the tithes begin to be supplied again. Well, last Sunday we began to look at New Testament principles that when it comes to tithing, uh, whether we hold to a strict 10% or not uh, is, um, well, it's open to your conscience. Uh, it can be argued either way. If you're going to be a strict tither, if you add up all the tithes and offerings together, maybe it comes to more like uh, 20%. So where quite we stand on that, I think the principle is that we do give and that our tithes are regular. There is a, a weekly or a monthly uh, basis on which we are given and to remember who we give to we're giving to the Lord only part of what he's given to us and what we retain we are responsible for and accountable to him for 
for we're only stewards here for a short time. And on that day, uh, there will be an opening of books and there will be questions to be asked even on that day. How have we used the grace that he has given to us and all the benefits that we receive? So any giving of mine or yours is only what he's given to us already and is to him and is for gospel work that Jesus Christ might be known not only here, he's placed us here, but also the commission is to the uttermost parts of the world. And how thrilling to look out this morning and this evening and to see missionaries with us from different parts of the world. This is thrilling and it ought to excite us and to hear uh, this morning and this evening of uh, works in different parts of this world. And also as well as for gospel needs, there is uh, relief of the needs of those who are not very well off or in hard-pressed situations. When it comes to a motivation for me to give, why should I give? Well, he's given me everything. I quoted it already. I think it's by, I can't remember who wrote this little couplet or triplet. You think, all that I have, he gave me. All that I am, he made me. All that I ever hope to be, Jesus alone can do for me. So it's a double uh, doublet. It's a quartet of little, little lines. It's a deep, deep, Truth. Now, I remember his giving as a motivation for my giving. Now, am I a reluctant giver? Am I quite uh, calculating and uh, making sure uh, God's giving is quite remarkable? God so loved the world. He gave, well, the darling of his heart. The one he's had fellowship with for all eternity. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the love, the fellowship, the glory, the delight. He gives him for sinners such as you and me. He gave the greatest gift. His only begotten Son. What a gift. And let's not forget the bottom line through the work of Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, so remembering his immense heart and his great, great love and mercy and grace and kindness towards us. Paul is inspired to write then in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, in the light of, and what a light it is, the mercies of God that us offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Everything, the whole shebang, all I am, all I have. It's all his. It's all on the line. I retain some, but I'm a steward. I'm only a steward. It's not my house. It's not my car. It's not my bank balance. It's not my shares and stocks. It's not my gold reserves. Uh, it's all his. It's all his. And I, I am a good steward. I trust I'll be a good steward. Give me wisdom, Lord. But then there's some that I give back to him. But all that I have when Paul is uh, writing to the Corinthians about the gift that they should be giving for famine relief, uh, he reminds them, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. So um, the motivation is the love of God through Jesus Christ. Was there ever such a gift to unworthy people such as you? and I. When it comes to the amount that we give, the principle we saw is it's according to 
our income. As the Lord blesses us, so we're able to bless others in our direct giving. Again, being good stewards of all that we have retained. I think we ought to think about our homes and uh, If you're worried about little children making mud on your carpets, don't put cream carpets down. (laughs) Maybe wooden floors are good and a a mop or a nice speckled patterned carpet that doesn't show the dirt quite as much. And for a practical car, don't buy a little two-door open-top sports car. You can't get many people to church in that. Uh, Get things that are practical, that can always be used for his uh, glory. So according to our income that we're giving Uh, generously. And I love that term, uh, according to, as the Lord has blessed you, so you give. Think how God has blessed us. Now the word again in Ephesians is he's blessed us according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It could have been that God blessed us out of his riches. And then that's, yeah. Out of his riches? Well, how, how much is that? Well, whatever he gives is out of his riches. But when you say according to, there's some correlation. His riches and what we get. Well, that's that's wonderful then. And how blessed we are from God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not out of his riches, it's according to his riches, he's blessed you and I. And that's the principle on Christian giving, that we give according to how he has blessed uh, us. There's something progressive here from a full heart. My attitude in giving, we saw last week I give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And the Greek word hilaros, from which you get hilarious. There should be much laughter as we are giving and signing standing orders and putting checks into the box. There should be a lot of giggling out there in the lobby as people are putting their money into the offering boxes. And also, thoughtfully, 2 Corinthians 9, let us consider carefully what we, what we give. And a little additional point I want to make, I think I touched on it last week, is that clearly in the Old Testament, giving was to a central fund. Uh, the people couldn't say, well, all right, I'm going to give my tithe, but uh, I'll give half into the temple, and then half I'm going to give to uh, old Jeremiah, who's struggling, and uh, he's having a tough time. I'll give a little bit to him as well. And I'll give some to Zedekiah over here. And oh, I, I better send that little couple, that little family on a holiday, so they need to go to Elat for a weekend, so I'll pay for them into the, uh, the travel lodge in, in Elat. So that's the other 5% uh, that I'm going to give. No, no, you bring it all into the storehouse, but I, but I don't know how they're going to use it. It's none of your business. The command is bring it into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food, where? In, in my house. And then we saw that when the stores came in, then 10% went from the Levites to uh, the priests. God had ordered ways in which that was to be used. So I, I believe we bring our tithes principally into the local church. So I I, I challenge myself and yourself on that. We might think, well, I'm giving, but where's it going, my friends? Into the storehouse? I believe it should come into the local church, where the Lord has set us, where we're working, where we're looking to support a a pastoral ministry team, and then uh, 
the, the tithes of the tithes are going out to good friends on the, the mission field and what that tithe is and where it is set, that's up for us to be deciding before uh, the Lord. But our principal uh, obligation with our tithes is to bring it into the central storehouse. But I don't like the way the local church is using it. Well, there are church meetings, there are elders to, to speak to, there's prayer that goes up to the Lord. I'm not so sure I'm very much in love with my local church. What strikes me very powerful is this, that Jesus Christ is very much in love with the evangelical church. He gave himself for her, warts and all. He's still contending with us. He has things he wants to change. But his motivation in dealing with you and I, even in times of discipline, is out of deep, Deep love. He loves his bride. He gave himself for her. He's looking to cleanse us and to change us from glory into glory. We need to be very careful how we speak about any local gospel church. But we put ourselves above their master, our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I want to emphasize that, that bringing the tithes into the central storehouse. But thou... What I want to move on to is this, um, and offerings, and offerings. Will a man rob God? Uh, well, we've robbed him in tithes. We've thought about that, the regular giving, and offerings. It's very clear in the Old Testament that in addition to the regular tithes, there were offerings. And offerings were in addition then, over and above. They were unpredictable. We didn't quite know when. They didn't quite know when they were going to be required. Uh, they were one-offs. So in the Old Testament, there would be special projects. We looked at the building of the, the tabernacle and the building of the temple, particularly its restoration, that the people brought their offerings into the central fund that the tabernacle could be uh, produced and the temple could be restored and the walls in Jerusalem could be rebuilt. These special projects. But there were also special occasions. And that's why I read Leviticus 7. It's also in Leviticus chapter 3. Um, the thank offerings. And I, I, it's a wonderful term. The peace offering, also known as the thank offering. And the clues in the name. How's my heart? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Is my heart full of gladness? We sing a little chorus now and again in hymn. I won't sing it, even though my wife's not here to give me the eye. My heart is filled with grumpiness. Is it? Let's look at our faces. Now, to be honest, you know, I, I thank God for some smilers out there. It's good to see some reciprocation, some, some feedback. We're not arm wavers. You know, generally, we're not arm wavers here. We had a couple at St. Melons, but we, uh, they were dealt with quietly. But anyway, anyway, we can smile. <laughs> My heart is filled with thankfulness. Is it? Or do I look on the circumstances, the situations and the waves as Peter did and start to sink? Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, the clues in the, the thank offering, the peace offering. And in Leviticus 7, there are three types 
One is the thank offering. The other is a vow offering. Maybe a promise has been made and fulfilled and in gratitude then an offering is made to the Lord. And the other one is just simply called a voluntary offering. There's no reason or rhyme behind it, just a full heart. I want to give. I want to give. And uh, you would give to the priest your animal, and uh, it's designated in Leviticus 3, the animals that are given. Leviticus 7 talks about the addition of uh, bread, uh, unleavened. Also leavened bread, the, the, the one occasion where leaven can be brought uh, as an offering. But there's something of a celebration with this offering because um, it's split in three ways. Uh, the fat portion is the best. I mean, I don't know if you're... Uh, you know, Jack Spratt ate no fat, his wife would eat no lean. In between the two of them, they licked the platter clean. Uh, I quite enjoy the fat, I like the meat as, as, as well. Uh, my wife, she cuts off uh, the fat. But actually, that's the best part. It showed prosperity. And that was offered to the Lord. The fat parts were offered as a burnt offering to the Lord. Next part was the choice cuts. Uh, the breast and the thigh. And that was uh, cut off and given to to the priests. But the rest of the animal and the rest of the cakes that weren't waved or heaved before the Lord, they went to the priests as well, that was for the giver. It was given back to him. So imagine you've offered a bull for a thank offering. And uh, it's got to be eaten on the same day. Or maybe there, there are two days to eat it. If it's a vow offering... It's more solemn, so two days. But if it's a thank offering, you've got to eat a whole bull in a day. All right, well, the priest's going to help you. He and his sons will have the breast and a thigh. But you've still got a few thighs left and quite a, quite a bit of animal there. Imagine eating a whole cow. You've got to eat it in a day. That's a challenge. What does this tell us? You would share it with others. You would ask your friends and relatives round, I'm giving a thank offering. I'm going up to the Lord for all that he's blessed me with, I'm taking a whole bull and uh, your friends will be quick. Oh, wow, you know, I love a good steak. I really do. I don't want to offend any vegetarians here. Um, but if you're asking me around, you can keep the rabbit food and I'll have the... Uh, well, look, let me not digress. This was what was eaten. And also the bread, leavened and unleavened and mixed with oils uh, as well. This was a banquet and a feast. So this is showing you this. It's a joyful time. There ought to be joy in the Lord. And a time for sharing and hospitality. And when Jesus saw parties being given and food being shared, uh, he had a word to say. When you throw a banquet, don't invite those who can invite you back. Rather, inviting those who have got no opportunity to bring you back. Maybe when they're doing a thank offering, it's a pigeon. And not much of a feast on a pigeon. Now I'm offering a pigeon. Come and join me. Well, I'll join you for the sake of the fellowship, but it's not going to be much of a feast. Well, invite him for the bull. Those who can't invite you back. The poor, the lame. I invite them. And there'll be real joy at such a banquet. And it's like that banquet in heaven. We who are poor and needy, are going to be at that banquet there, all supplied by our Heavenly Father. There's something here then for the poor and for the needy. These are free will offerings. So bringing this into the New Testament picture, these, these one-off 
uh, offerings, the, uh, the regular offerings going into the, the local churches, supplying the gospel needs, supporting the ministry teams. And, uh, and then there are those who are in need. Well, in the New Testament, I struggled through two chapters of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8 and chapter 9. The whole story begins in Acts and it's taken up in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 about the needs in Jerusalem and an offering being made on the first day of the week. Uh, get it all together and when I come there'll be no need for an offering. And then in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, the whole two chapters on giving and attitudes and responsibilities to give and outdoing each other uh, in giving. But the need was famine relief in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 2, again, these one-off occasions where somebody might sell a field and bring the proceeds before the apostles. It was distributed then according to need. Meeting the needs of those going through times of difficulty. I was very struck. I was reading something that reminded me of this. Acts chapter 20. Remember that um, Paul calls for the Ephesian elders and these are the last words he'll say to them. It's the last time they'll see him. It's a very solemn occasion. Many of them are weeping because they won't see Paul again. And what's the last thing he ever says to them? Well, it's here in Acts 20 and verse 35. I have shown you, says Paul, in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. Interesting, isn't it? Last thing he says to a group of elders from a local church, you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Then he knelt down and prayed with them and off he went. Wow, what a note for him to sound there, to remember the weak. You elders, remember the weak. And then when he's writing to the church in Galatia, <clears throat> chapter 2, we read from verse 9, he's been in Jerusalem as Paul, and he's held counsel with the leaders there. Galatians 2 and verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only... Now, what, what did the apostles in Jerusalem say to Paul and Barnabas? Go out with the word, get out with the gospel. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure they did, but here's what Paul says. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. What an impact the gospel makes. It moves hearts. Rather than seeing... Others as a, as a threat, see them as an opportunity uh, to help and to bring the glory of the gospel and the grace of God. So, in conclusion on these uh, one-offs that we see there, the thank offering, the peace offering, the voluntary offering, the vow offering, applications, well, maybe in the life of the church, as well as our tithes that we're giving regularly whatever amount they may be we're giving cheerfully according to how God has blessed us um, maybe there are special occasions where the church leadership might say well we feel it's right before God 
I think increasingly as a congregation, we need to be moving together and uh, developing a consensus on things like, like this. But there's a building maybe we'd like, I think at some point after I'd left in 2000, you bought, well, you must have bought it. You didn't just take it, did you? You did buy it. Well, there'd be a, a need and a, and a project. Well, there wasn't enough money in the fund with, with tithes to, to buy it. So maybe there was an appeal for a special offering. I don't know quite now know how you approached it, but I, I do know there was a blessing from God at some point that helped in the, the fight. But so one-off projects like, like that can happen. <clears throat> Maybe there's a big outreach mission we plan to the city. What I don't want is Mr. Treasurer to say to the elders, sorry, we can't afford that. It's what we're here for. <laughs> if we can't reach out, what are, what are we here for? So he might well say, well, what about a special offering? And uh, we would consider that a mission to the city, maybe joining with other gospel churches. This does happen regularly. We hear about a disaster in another nation. We know a missionary who's well-placed there on the ground, and we have a special retiring offering. These are these one-offs, and we're, we're giving with a full heart. Missionaries who are here, uh, with us and uh, others maybe we'd like to take on and we think well we can't do that special offering there is a missionary fund in the life of the church another project that's not going to be funded out of uh, the uh, the general tithes and the general fund but we have two apprentices starting in two weeks now they have to live somewhere and they have to eat food and they need to get a get around so we've uh, been thinking and we've promised and pledged a sum of money for each of them and uh, we're looking for special one-offs out of full hearts to help to fund that so things like this my friends are the special thank offerings maybe your heart is suddenly moved maybe a deliverance from a situation a close shave not a coincidence, a providence, and a, an inter, in, intervention of, of God to, to preserve you. Maybe a recovery from some situation or disease, a relationship has been healed. Then out of a full heart, we're not expressing that with some gift to the Lord's work. Deliverances and blessings. Maybe, we've had a, uh, maybe you've had a windfall, and from that you, you want to bless the gospel work in your local church, or maybe they can be given these, these offerings. I don't think you're obliged to bring them into the local church if needs are made known elsewhere. Bless them in those situations. Let me conclude. Let, let me say this. There's not a lot written <clears throat> on the grace of giving. This is excellent. It's written by Joel Morris. It's called Big Hearted. Now, Joel Morris works in uh, Bridge End with... Um, it called these days union thank you union very well written very engaging very practical not only on monetary giving but uh, the whole of our lives is an offering to the lord so we've focused on tithes and offerings <clears throat> but i can give of my time i can give of my energies i can give of my mind I give of my uh, possessions and the use of my home and all, all these areas this is a very helpful book but he does detail there John Pugh a railway worker in South Wales not a very wealthy man quite working class 
but converted, uh, became a pastor. And he had a vision to reach the anglicised workers down the mines who were being brought in from Lancashire and all over uh, England to work in the mines and in the, uh, uh, the ironworks and the railways here very much in South Wales, that the hub of industry throughout the world really was here, the Industrial Revolution. And John Pugh had a burden they might be reached. He shared that burden with Frank and Seth Joshua. And they had a vision to build churches, to plant churches. It was known, you know, the, the forward movement. But these were not wealthy men. What were they going to do? Economic times were grim, People didn't have great wages. Conditions were really, really grim. They began the forward movement using a borrowed tent on waste ground. Fifteen years later, 48 churches had been built, including this one. This one. They seated 44,000 people and generally were full. Sunday by Sunday, 11,000 children went through the Sunday schools Sunday by Sunday, 38 full-time evangelists have been employed. Now you might think, however did that happen? Well, it wasn't through tithes, but it didn't come come through offerings. In St. Melan's Baptist Church, the foundation stone, you can still read the names of two men, John Corey and Richard Corey. John Corey lived in uh, Dufferin House. Have you been to Dufferin Gardens? Well, Dufferin House, that was where John Corey lived, up on the hill with his family. He was a big-hearted evangelical man. He had a friend, David Davis Clandinham, who was a great industrialist in, the, uh, the, the, in Mid Wales there. You can still see uh, his home just off the main road going through Clandinham. Uh, well... On Christmas Eve, sorry, New Year's Eve in 1891, hearing of the burden that um, John Pugh had, John Corey asked him up to Dufferin House. John Corey invited us, so the Joshers went as well, to spend the last evening of 1891 in his beautiful home. He invited us to place our scheme to evangelise the masses before him, Our simple but practical scheme so commended itself to his clear head and warm heart that there and then he promised us his generous support. And then year after year, for a number of years that followed, he gave around £50,000 a year, which equates to about £6 million. Now, he was a very wealthy man, but I'll tell you this, my friends, he gave according to his riches. And we're here because the Lord opened his heart and David Davis' heart in a mighty way. What shall I bring him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a rich man, I would play my part. But what I have, I'll give him. Give him my heart, what he actually wants. My son, give me your heart. And then the promises are wonderful. See if I will not open a window of heaven and pour out such a blessing. Well, what a blessing. The forward movement churches. And this one is still standing here 122 years later. Try me in this, 
says the Lord. In Haggai, when God has challenged the people, they weren't giving their tithes. He said, you're keeping your money, but you put it into a bag with holes. You think you're going to have more, but uh, it's not, not what you expected. But bring the tithe. And then God says, when they're doing that in Haggai chapter 2, from this day forward, I will bless you. Temporal blessings, certainly, but spiritual blessings are the principal thing we yearn for and look to him for. Well, may God lead us and guide us. We don't want to contract. We really do want to press on with the work of the gospel in this city and to the uttermost parts of the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. We just happen to come to this particular section at such a time as this. So pray, Lord, you would lead us and guide us. Help us to see our responsibilities uh, before you to use all that we have to your great glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.